Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are resetting the NFL after Week 16 and making picks for Week 17. Plus, is the NBA handling the recent COVID surge the best out of all the major sports? And reviewing the year in sports in 2021 and predicting what will happen in 2022. It's episode 54 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Hello, everybody, here on Thursday, December 30th, 2021. It's the last episode of the year 2021, number 54 here of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas with your families and your loved ones. If, unfortunately, you did test positive for COVID, hopefully you are being safe, and we're hopefully going to ring in the new year in a very big way. Me personally, it was a great day with me and my family. Got some pretty incredible gifts. Uh, was definitely a great time to be around the family. But of course, even with the holidays coming along, the NFL continues to go on. And before we get into a preview into the NFL, <clears throat> this segment here is dedicated to the incredible legacy of John Mann. Of course, if you don't know, Last Tuesday morning, he passed away at the age of 85. And my my thing is, it was great that he at least got to celebrate the holidays. But in terms of a legacy, I mean, not many people can make a seamless transition from the sidelines to the broadcast booth. And John Madden was one of those guys, you know, he was someone who always light, lit up a room no matter what. And he's got some incredible one-liners. I know I was too young to really know the prime of his career with Pat Summerall, but as a broadcaster, aspiring broadcaster, you know, and play-by-play and stuff like that, John Madden is a tape that I study as much as I can. So this NFL segment here is dedicated to the incredible John Madden, who not only gave us incredible memories, a long-lasting video game, but so much more in the NFL. So this this is all for John Madden right here. And of course, in true Madden style, you've got some incredible action that I know he would have loved to call in the broadcast booth, especially with where we're seeing the NFL standings, how close we are to the end. Of course, week 17 is up. And then next week, the historic week 18, we'll get some picks going a little bit later, but It does seem like with all the uncertainty that's gone on all season long, there was some certainty established. A couple of playoff spots wrapped up. You had the Chiefs clinching the West in the AFC. The Cowboys clinched the NFC East. The Bucs got the South. And the Rams and the Cardinals got their playoff spots. But still, things feel very jumbled, especially in the AFC. And you have to look at the games in Week 16 that really, you know, still make things as crazy as it is. I mean, look at the uh, AFC North. Still the tightest race in the league. You've got the uh, Bengals 
the Cincinnati Bengals leading the way. And even still, the Cleveland Browns aren't eliminated just yet at seven and eight. But let's talk about Cincinnati first off, because not only do they have the edge, but they absolutely destroyed an injury-prone Ravens team, 41 to 21. you got to keep in mind, this was a Bengals team that hurt a healthy, somewhat healthy Ravens team not too long ago when they still had Lamar Jackson. They still had all their cornerbacks. This is a Bengals team, as I say, week after week after week, that they feel young and inexperienced, but here they are winning big games. I mean, look at Joe Burrow last week, 37 of 46, 525 yards passing, which apparently, you know, looking this up, is the fourth most pass yards in a game in league history. Unbelievable. And then to top that off, he had four touchdowns. And what the Cincinnati offense did, because we know that it is the strength of this team, is their offense, is they took advantage of a depleted secondary and Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, they went nuts. Absolutely nuts. And keep in mind, they've still got Joe Mixon, who I don't even think he cracked like 80 yards rushing on the ground. And he's still in the backfield, arguably as a top five running back in this league. And what we're learning about the Cincinnati team, not only are they ahead of their time right now, but we're learning that when Joe Burrow is on his feet and not getting sacked all the time, he can be a top quarterback in this league. I don't care who it is. He can definitely be a top 10, top 15 quarterback as long as he stays on his two feet. Because now we know he's got the weapons. He's got a great running back behind him, a ton of weapons in the passing game. But then it comes down to how well is that offensive line going to protect him? Now, it is going to be tough at the end of the year for Cincinnati. They This week, they're in Kansas City to play the Chiefs, and then their regular season finale is hosting the Browns. But they can clinch the division with a win and a Steelers loss this week. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think in terms of who has the edge in that division, I got to give it to the Bengals because let's be honest, the Ravens, I think they're done. They are absolutely done. I don't care if Lamar Jackson plays or not. They're done. They're, the injuries are just too much for them. And then Cleveland last week against Green Bay, just it felt like they were eliminated right then and there. And then Pittsburgh has been really inconsistent all year long. So if you ask me, Cincinnati has the edge in that division right now. Now, shifting to the AFC East, it's all of a sudden much tighter than it was at the beginning. You remember through the first five weeks of the year, this was going to be a runaway for Buffalo. But then sure enough, New England, Miami, they both go on winning streaks. Buffalo falters a little bit, but they did put themselves in the driver's seat, did Buffalo after Sunday, beating New England at Gillette Stadium. Josh Allen and the Bills looking like their old selves. Plus, he got some run support. He got 114 yards on the ground. But what was more interesting to me was to see Buffalo go for it on fourth down so early and so often. I mean, they were three for four on fourth down last Sunday. And I was wondering why, 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 why? And I think, you know, it's two things. One of it is Sean McDermott and that Buffalo organization is trying to show that This is their division. It's their time. It's not like 20 years in the past where you see New England rack up division title after division title. So you know there was a statement right there. And they're also showing that that uh, game in Buffalo a few weeks ago was an absolute fluke, and they wanted to put the hammer down. Now, it did get – they did wrap it up in the fourth quarter. 
and they do own the tiebreaker now over the Pats and over the Dolphins. And they do have an easy schedule at home. I mean, you know, both last two games are at home against the Falcons and against the Jets. Now, in terms of a deep playoff run, I'm still skeptical about, you know, not having a running tack because you're not going to get games like that every single week from Devin Singletary. Josh Allen hopefully doesn't have to be the leading rusher, but I like Buffalo to come out on top in that division. I really do. Just because, you know, it was, it was surprising to see, you know, losing to Tampa and then losing to New England. You know, it made me think, what is going on with that team? And they lost to Jacksonville also later on in the, uh, earlier on in the year. But I think Buffalo is sort of right of the ship. They've gotten back to their formula. And it just it comes down to, can Josh Allen have his weapons help out? Because his receivers were great. Diggs, McKenzie, they were, they were incredible last Sunday. But if they don't have any kind of running attack, you know, and Josh Allen doesn't have to do anything, then Buffalo can be a contending team. I mean, the Dol- when you look at the Dolphins, though, their schedule has been easy, but it is impressive still, the turnaround that they've had. You know, seven straight after a 1-7 start. Defense is looking better to where it was projected, and I like the run defense, the way they've been able to shut them down. And also, too, with Tagovailoa, he's back to being that quarterback that everyone thought it could be. Is he... One of the greatest out there? No, but he's showing himself to be a capable quarterback in this league. And I think that's what we all expected. I mean, Jalen Waddle being there definitely helps out because that dude is turning himself into a beast and who knows what will happen in his second and third and fourth. Cause this is only his rookie year, but I mean, they've got some, they've got Tennessee and then New England. So it's not an easy stretch by far, but I think if they can win, this Sunday, if they can knock off the Titans, then I give them a very strong chance to get into the postseason. Because really, when you look at the AFC, to me, I feel comfortable about everyone except for that very last spot. I think New England gets in. I think Indianapolis gets in. And then all the division winners, I think, are going to stay the way they are. But it's that last spot, you know, between the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Chargers, the Raiders, and then throw in the Steelers, Browns, and Broncos, even though I don't really think they have a shot. I would favor the Chargers, even though they had a really bad game last Sunday against Houston. I mean, they did have a lot of uh, guys missing because of COVID very last minute. So I don't really fault them on that one right there. I think the Chargers, though, are the favorite for that last spot. I, I really do. And I expect the Chargers to, to get in there because, yes, they're inconsistent, but I think they're good enough to get into that postseason. But That's more wide open than the AFC. Let's talk the NFC. I mean, that is more locked up. They're more locked up, obviously, than the AFC. You've got five out of the seven spots wrapped up. And just like I said last week, the Green Bay Packers continue to be my Super Bowl favorite. Now, last Saturday against Cleveland, allowing over 400 yards and 126 yards to Nick Chubb on the ground, 219 rush yards in total, does concern me a little bit. But they did force four interceptions, two of them by Rasul Douglas. I think, you know, the the defense is going to be that big question because we know what that offense can do. And as long as Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon give Rodgers a running game, that offense can be unstoppable with what he can do. And you also got to remember earlier on the week, Aaron Rodgers said he won't drag out his decision about his future in Green Bay. Leave it to Rodgers in the middle of a tough playoff race in the NFC to say, 
to pull out this kind of headline. I mean, this to me feels like a guarantee he won't be back in Green Bay. So it's got to be Super Bowl or bust for that organization. And I think they're going to do whatever it takes. Obviously, Rodgers is going for the Super Bowl, obviously. But it just feels like a guarantee that he's not going to be back in Green Bay after that. But that's something we can talk about in the offseason. Let's talk about who's behind them in the NFC. And it's the Dallas Cowboys. Number two right now in the NFC at 11-4, throttling Washington. But to me, it's how they enter the postseason that will really dictate their chances. Because, I mean, two very difficult games, I think, to end the regular season. They host the Cardinals this Sunday, and then they go to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. Now, obviously, Washington is a story within itself. And the fact that Dallas put up 56 points on them shows what that offense can be, can be. And I think if they're 80% of what they were on Sunday, I think they're legit contenders because Prescott, Dak Prescott, the numbers that we saw last Sunday is what we were seeing regularly, 28 of 39, 330 yards, four touchdowns. This is what that Dallas offense can do. When you've got two great running backs in Elliott and Pollock, then you've got Cooper, Gallup, Lamb, all these weapons, and yet they struggled for many, many weeks. And I understand, again, it's Washington, and the defense has carried them throughout most games. But if the defense stays the way they were for the past number of weeks, and this offense is still relevant, relevant, I mean, if, uh, again, 80% of what they can beat, not saying they got to put up 56 points every single time, but if you get about 30, you know, around the 30 mark, between 20 and 30, then you're good. I think they can be legit contenders if that happens. But right behind the Cowboys are the Rams. And I think the Rams are getting back to their elite status. And it makes me feel a lot more comfortable about my Super Bowl prediction at the beginning of the year to see the Rams in the Super Bowl. I mean, now they've got four straight. But the one person that I think is turning things around for L.A. is Sony Michelle. I think Michelle is giving L.A. a great running attack behind Matthew Stafford. I mean, look at in these last four wins. Michelle has rushed for 121. 79, 92, and 131 on the ground consecutively. And when you put him along with Daryl Henderson, who hopefully will be back from IR in the playoffs, and then Cam Akers coming back, that's three really good running backs that LA is having. And not only that, but their defense is back to where it was. Back to where it could be when you get Von Miller and Jalen Ramsey, and Aaron Donald on the same field. And then you bring in Odell Beckham Jr. He's getting integrated in the offense. He's looking like his old self. The Rams, to me, could be the dark horse in the NFC. Because, you know, looking at the other teams, the Bucs are limping into the playoffs. They're still going to get in. They do get the division title and a home game under their belt, unlike last season. But, I mean, come on. Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette. They're all out with injuries. The good thing is, though, they get the Jets and the Panthers to end their regular season. But to me, I still think the Bucs in that fourth spot wouldn't be too surprising to me just because the way they're limping into the playoffs and L.A. has got all their weapons in there. But, man, I got to talk about the Cardinals, though, at number five. This was a team I said for weeks and weeks and weeks are the number one team in the NFC. And look what happened. You know, all these games, the Detroit loss, the Indianapolis loss last Saturday. I think all my confidence is right out the window. And it's not so much what they're doing on the field. It's the decision-making. You know, we're seeing Cliff Kingsbury 
You know, look at the Monday night game in uh, against L.A., against the Rams. Instead of spiking the ball, they decide to go for the play, and Kyler Murray's le- running all over the place. And Kyler Murray's decision-making, you know, it's leaving all the skepticism. Now, most likely, I don't think they're going to be lower than the fifth seed. I don't think San Fran, Philly, Minnesota, any of those teams catch them. So Arizona does get a break. But if we see them get blown out by the Cowboys this Sunday – that's not a good sign if you're the Arizona Cardinals, a team that was on top of the NFC at one point, the last undefeated team in the NFL. And all of a sudden you got people saying you're going to be a one and done. And if they have to go up against a healthy Buccaneers team, I would favor Tampa Bay at this point. That's what I would say. But so they've got to win the division so they can get one of those wild card teams. But I mean, those last two spots, you know, not going to be any easy. And I think it's between three teams, essentially. I think, you know, I think it's between the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Vikings. Because let's face it, Atlanta plays in Buffalo. Saints and Washington looked horrible last week. I mean, among those three teams, between San Fran, Philly, and Minnesota, the 49ers are my favorite. You know, I've, I'm a 49ers fan for the past couple of weeks, seeing what the offense has been able to do, how they've been able to pick up the slack. I mean, they can clinch a spot this Sunday if they beat Houston. And I know Jimmy G's got a thumb injury right now, but they've got enough talent on both sides of the field. In the passing game, in the running backs, the D-line with Nick Bosa, Armstead, Fred Warner at linebacker. I think this is a 49ers team that can be dangerous if Jimmy G is healthy. Because let's face it, Trey Lance in this kind of situation, I don't have a lot of trust in him. At least not yet, because he's still a rookie has gotten a lot of playing time. And to me, I think they're the favorite, you know, for that sixth spot. And I think they get it. The seventh spot, I like Philly in this one. I really do because I think they, yes, they've had an easy schedule during their three-game winning streak, the Jets, Washington, and the Giants. But I think it's going to be the last game of the season against the Cowboys that are going to decide their playoff fate. Because let's face it, Minnesota, I know they've got a tough schedule at the Packers then versus the Bears, and they lost Adam Thielen, but this is a Minnesota team that just does not go away. To see Kirk Cousins put up the numbers that he's had and, you know, to see Justin Jefferson go absolutely nuts once again, I still do think that Philly has the advantage just because of their schedule. I mean, this Sunday they are playing, uh, just looking at the schedule real quick, Washington in Washington. They should get past that game. I think if they get past this game, I think it's over because let's face it, it's going to be a huge hole for Minnesota. You're going to be down two games essentially if Minnesota loses to Green Bay and Philly wins uh against Washington. So, I like Philly in this one. I think, you know, for the long haul, Jalen Hurts just has to limit his mistakes and the defense just has to continue to You know, they've got to step up. They have to step up and help out Jalen Hurts. But these playoff teams could be decided at the end of this week. And we'll see what happens. So let's now throw it over to a segment recorded earlier on in the week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is NFL Week 17 edition of Pickup. So for this week, it's a little bit different. We don't have a special guest, unfortunately, due to scheduling conflicts. So I am officially going to throw my hat into the Pick'em standings. I, I make picks every single week, but this is the week where it's going to count for me. I'm going to count myself in the standings 
I'm going to make these picks for week 16. And we're going to see how I stack up with our leader, Johnny Mansuridis at 13 and three. We had Jake Solomon's last week going 11 and five, but this is where it's going to count for me. I'm throwing my hat in and we're going to make some picks. So let's start it off. We got no Thursday game. So everything's on Sunday and then the Monday night game. So let's just dive in and talk Atlanta and Buffalo. Like I said in the previous segment, Atlanta's in Buffalo, obviously a tough environment, and the Bills have their mojo back. Would I be surprised to see Atlanta pull out a win? No, because just when you think they're going away, they somehow find a way to get back into things. I mean, Cordero Patterson is the ultimate Swiss Army knife for that Atlanta team, and he himself has kept Atlanta's season alive. But I don't think it's going to be enough in Buffalo. I will take the Bills at home to win this game. And then moving on to the New York football giants, the Chicago bears, definitely a game. No one's going to watch between four and 11 and five and 10. There's something about Nick Foles at quarterback. I don't know what it is, but he tends to have some kind of magic come out with him, especially when these tough. I mean, look at last week in Seattle, he starts, they come from behind, they get the two point conversion. They beat Seattle at home. And we know Foles is great in the NFC East. So I think that's the advantage. The fact that he is playing the Giants, you know, he was with the Eagles and he saw the Giants a lot. So I think that's a big advantage for Chicago. I'll take the Bears to win this game at home. But then a game that most eyes are going to be on Kansas City and Cincinnati, 11 and four, nine and six. You know, like I said about Cincinnati, I think they're in the driver's seat for the AFC North, but just the Chiefs are too much. I mean, look at what they did against Pittsburgh, you know, arguably a top 10 defense and a team without Travis Kelsey. Keep that in mind. Kelsey was still in the protocols and now he's back. Offense is almost at full strength. I like Kansas City to get this one done on the road, but again, a result that might, you know, if the, if it was the other way, it wouldn't surprise me. Just because the Bengals, they continue to prove the doubters wrong. And I know they're at home, but just Kansas City just seems like too much right now. They are the clear favorites in the AFC. I will take the Chiefs to beat the Bengals. And I think it's going to be a one-possession game. So it's going to be really, really close. As then we transition to another great game, Miami and Tennessee. Like I said, Miami, seven-game winning streak. They're now, at this moment, the seventh seed in the AFC playoffs. Meanwhile, Tennessee is trying to lock up the AFC South at 10 and five. This is an upset for me and I'm going to go with Miami. I think Miami pulls it out here against Tennessee. I think defensively what the dolphins can do forcing mistakes from Ryan Tannehill. And we've seen that with this Miami team or with this Tennessee team, I should say, if Ryan Tannehill is throwing interceptions and making mistakes, then they're kind of vulnerable at this point. And I understand you know, A.J. Brown had a big game last Thursday against San Francisco. I know he looks like he's back, and they're going to get Derrick Henry hopefully in time for the playoffs. You know, do I still think they can win the South? Of course. Of course I do. But I think for this week it's going to be an upset, and I think the Dolphins on the road are going to take this one. That's what I think is going to happen. As then we go to Vegas and Indy, another 8-7 and seven team, 9-6. and six. Vegas, to me – you know, this comes down to Carson Wentz. Obviously, you know, we're recording on a Thursday. We don't know what's going to happen until literally the morning of if Carson Wentz is going to be able to get to go. Obviously, he is unvaccinated. 
and he did te- uh, he's in the protocols and they did change it. So he could be eligible to be cleared. But I think, you know, it, it, it's like this. If he plays, then I'd favor the Colts. But if Sam Ellinger is the quarterback for the Colts, I don't have a lot of faith. And I'm just, I'm going on the instinct that Ellinger is going to be the quarterback. And so I'll take the Raiders on this one. I think the Raiders somehow find a way to stay alive in that wild card race and just make it really, really tight against uh, Indianapolis. So I'll take the Raiders on this one. As then we go to Jacksonville and New England. This one, no brainer, not a lot of time. Plus we'll talk about the Pats during our let's get local. New England should win this game. They should win it by a lot, but it's going to be a real tough game for New England. And we'll talk about that, as I said, in the segment of let's get local, but this should be an easy game. I like New England to take the victory at Gillette. As then we stay in the AFC East, talk about the Jets at 4-11. Meanwhile, the Bucks at 11-4. and I think with all the injuries, though, the Jets are just not enough for Tom Brady and that Tampa team. You know, we're seeing how much depth that the Buccaneers really have. Antonio Brown coming back like it was nothing. And now he's the number one target for Tom Brady. Meanwhile, you got some great tight ends. Ronald Jones was running the ball really well. I think, again, the secondary is their weakness, but the passing game just isn't enough from the Jets. So I'll take Tampa Bay to win this game. I'll take Tampa on that one. And then we go to Philly and Washington, battle in the NFC East, eight and seven, six and nine. What can you say about Washington? I mean, getting blown out on Sunday night in prime time. You got defenders fighting with each other on the sidelines. I think it's just a total mess right now in Washington. And it's hard for them to to bounce back. So I think the Eagles are going to have the advantage in this one. I'll take Philly in this one just because it's too much of a mess right now in D.C. with the defenders fighting with each other. I'll take Philly. Should be an easy win. And then Rams and Ravens, 8-7 Baltimore. I said they're done. I do still think they're done. I know they're playing at home, but just L.A. is on a roll right now. It's hard to stop them. I'll take the Rams in this one, and I think it's going to be – I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think it's going to be a pretty wide margin, maybe two or three scores, you know, not two or three touchdowns, but two or three scores uh, between uh, these two teams. I like the Rams to come up to this one. And then we go to Broncos chargers. As I said, chargers are my favorites for that last wild card spot. I think they turn it around. As I said, They had a ton of last-minute COVID issues literally right before the kickoff against Houston, so I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt right then and there. But I still like that. I like them to turn it around against Denver. Plus, Drew Locke, he isn't quite the quarterback that Teddy Bridgewater is, and I know they've got two great running backs in Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, but it's just not enough. Not enough for this Chargers team. They've got hopefully no last-minute COVID issues. Maybe Austin Eckler can be back. I don't, I don't know what that's going to happen, but I think for this week, I'll take the Chargers at home to beat the Denver Broncos in a battle in the AFC West. But shifting from the AFC West to the NFC West, 49ers hosting the Texans. San Francisco 8-7, and seven, Houston 4-11. and 11. Houston surprisingly looked good last week against the Chargers. But again, San Francisco, as I said, a really great offense, but it depends on how healthy is Jimmy Garoppolo. Is that thumb going to be a huge factor in passing the ball we'll have to see what that happens I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think probably maybe a one score game but
but I still like the 49ers to come out to uh, come out with a victory on this one. Give me San Francisco to lock up playoff spot. And then maybe the game of the week here between Arizona and Dallas. As I said, Arizona, this is a gut check game for them. We know they're in the playoffs, but how effective are they going to be? If they're not putting up a fight against the 11-4 Dallas Cowboys, you might as well write off their season. They could be the first ones out, essentially, from that wild card game. I do like Dallas in this game just because I, even with the monster numbers they put up against Washington, I think they can duplicate that to a smaller extent. I think they can be a lot more effective offensively than they have been in weeks past. And it's almost like that game Sunday night against Washington was a reminder of, oh, this offense is really good. And if that offense is behind a great defense, then this can be a dangerous Cowboys team. And I think that's how Dallas wins this game is defensively. They create turnovers by Kyler Murray. Murray's still young, still a little bit inexperienced. And I think they're going to force a couple of turnovers in that Arizona offense. Give me Dallas in this one to beat the Cardinals at home. And then we go to Carolina, New Orleans. You know, I did say New Orleans is dumb, but I think they can get ahead of Carolina just because, let's face it, they're starting Sam Darnold at quarterback are the Panthers. Between Darnold and Cam Newton, they're just not themselves. Not themselves as Carolina. And I, I know Ian Book got a lot of heat, but, I mean, come on. He was the fourth-string quarterback. Fourth-string, okay? It went Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, and then Ian Book. I mean, there's a reason he's the fourth quarterback on that depth chart you know I do think either Simeon or Hill can come back I think they'll clear protocols and get themselves back in time but Alvin Kamara has got to be more of a force if he's more of a force this is going to be an easy game and I think that's what's going to happen and I need it to happen for my fantasy championship so I'm going to take New Orleans uh, in this game against Carolina and then we go to Detroit Seattle 212 and one for the Lions Seahawks they're just all over the place. Losing at home to Chicago last week. You know, Bobby Wagner saying he doesn't know about his future. I think this is going to be an upset, and I think Detroit is going to pull it out. I do think Detroit, you know, with Seattle, their season's pretty much over. I mean, both their team, both teams' season is pretty much over. But Seattle's not used to this losing kind of thing. So I think Detroit, they come in there. I think Amonra St. Brown has a good game. Regardless of if it's Jared Goff or uh, Tim Boyle, I think the Lions are going to pull out an upset. I will take Detroit to beat Seattle at home. As then we go to Sunday night between the Packers and the Vikings, I think there's a revenge factor on this mind, uh, on the mind of Rodgers and the whole Packers team. I know the Vikings looked great, but again, the Vikings beating the Packers at home last time these two teams played, you got to think that Matt LaFleur and everyone in Green Bay has done their homework, and they're not going to let that happen again. Defensively, they're going to have to get better, force a couple interceptions from Kirk Cousins, and that's how they win them the game. That's what I think is going to happen, though. I will take Green Bay at home to win this game against Minnesota. As then we go to the Monday night game, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. A little bit of a late drama here. Big Ben saying that this could be, it probably is his last game at Heinz Field. And I think that's motivation enough for Pittsburgh to get this win. I think Cleveland, this is just kind of a lost season for them. Baker Mayfield throwing four picks last week, obviously didn't look good. And I think this is a Pittsburgh team. Again, I've been saying it over and over and over. They're doing their absolute best to give Ben Roethlisberger 
a fond farewell. Do they get to the playoffs? I don't think so, but I think at least for his last game at home in Pittsburgh, they're going to come up with the win. So I will take the Steelers to beat the Browns. So those are the picks for week 17, and I am going to wish myself luck and hope for some success for week 17. Shifting from the NFL into the NBA, and there's a COVID surge, obviously, as we talked about last week, not just in the NBA, but in all of sports. I mean, the NHL postponing their season, the NFL, you know, plowing through it. But honestly, in the NBA, I think they're doing the best job in terms of handling this Omicron surge uh, and dealing with COVID. Because I think Adam Silver and the association, they are taking steps to ensure a full season. And, you know, does that involve postponement? Sure. But they're basically saying, challenge your depth. This is your depth. Go with it. And I think what the NBA is doing with hardship contracts, like the 10-day contract for outbreaks, not only is that great for teams, it's great for the fans. Because you get to see guys like Isaiah Thomas, Joe Johnson, Lance Stevenson, guys who were, uh, you know, big contributors in the NBA. And they get to they get another chance essentially. And <clears throat> what's great is that it's the 75th year of the NBA, so it's almost like you're you're getting uh, more great guys. You know, how many legendary moments has Joe Johnson been a part of? How many legendary moments has Isaiah Thomas been a part of? Lance Stevenson being the comedic genius that he is. I mean, what that does that has to be the best um, move in all of sports to deal with this kind of surge. Is it 10 day? Hardship contract. I mean, CJ Miles signing with the Celtics, Isaiah Thomas now going to the Mavericks after a stint with the Lakers. I mean, Lance Stevenson with the Hawks, Joe Johnson with the Celtics. It's great. It is great nostalgia. I think it's a great move by Adam Silver and the NBA. This has to be the best move because this, this is essentially, you know, you can't do it obviously in the NFL because you got a practice squad, obviously, where you can, you know, bring guys up. And in the NHL, you got taxi squads, or whatever, but that's still not enough. You know, everyone remembers, you know, at least me personally, there are a lot of guys in the NBA that I do remember that I think do get, you know, multiple chances and guys like seeing Isaiah Thomas back on the court is so surreal. It's incredible. Seeing Joe Johnson at 40 years old on a team. Amazing. I mean, I'm just, I'm thrilled with what the NBA has done. And then also you get these isolation periods now changing to five days. Then you have some, you know, incentives or whatever that you have to clear protocols with. So it's a, it's a minimum of five days that you have to be isolated and then you can get back. And when you look at the other leagues, you know, the NBA is powering through the NFL is powering through the NHL is saying let's postpone it. And I think part of that is they have, you know, They have more cross-border travel, obviously. You know, in the NBA, you only got Toronto you got to worry about. But in the NHL, you got Vancouver, Calgary, Ottawa, you know, all of these places, Winnipeg. So I think that's part of the reason why there was a lot of postponement. But I think from a business standpoint and from a, a fan's perspective, seeing what the NBA has done, 
is great. I think it's been great for the NBA. And I think, you know, regardless, you know, this is a good, this is a good way of really figuring out who really the top team is because team, 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 that's what we're talking about. You know, all the depth that you have, you know, it's not just one guy. It's not just two guys. It's not three guys. It's how good is your full 15 to 20 man roster or whatever. And, you know, we're seeing that with some teams. We're seeing, you know, Brooklyn, we're seeing that payoff, even when they didn't have, you know, Durant, Kyrie, Harden, Aldridge, they were still competing and winning some games. Keep that in mind. And, you know, that's what's important is that, you know, they're doing their best to power through and make sure that a full season on time takes place. Because I think, you know, we're not we're not going to see another you know lockout or whatever you know not not lockout of the season not lockout in the the U.S. I don't think we're gonna we're gonna see that I don't think anyone's gonna have to be locked down and we'll have to do that because we're learning more about the Omicron variant it's not you know deadly or whatever it's not more severe than any others so that's that's the good thing that's the good thing and I think what the NBA is doing with this ten day contract I think. I, I'm just going to continue to rave and rave and rave about the 10 day contract because it's essentially telling these teams it's not on us. This is on you to keep your players healthy, get a full squad or as best as you can. Obviously there are going to be injuries to coincide with everyone in health and safety protocols. But what the NBA is doing is saying, we are still giving you entertainment. We're still giving you value. We don't care if Giannis isn't playing on Christmas or Durant isn't playing on Christmas or any of these big time stars, if they're not playing, we're still going to give you a full season because we know that the best teams are going to win. You know, they're not someone, yes, they care about the money aspect, all of it, but they also care about entertaining the fans. So props to the NBA for what they're doing with this COVID surge. And even if this COVID surge gets, you know, contained or whatever, more exemptions like this should definitely take place. Now let's talk about nostalgia. Let me tell you about 2021. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Not just in sports, but in the entire world. You know, we could talk on and on and on about what happened in the world throughout this year and leading into 2022. But in 2021, there was a somewhat return to normalcy. You know, you saw fans back in the stadiums and it almost felt it felt kind of normal, kind of normal. I mean, obviously, you still got the masks and stuff like that. And, you know, spacing, obviously, you know, you had the Super Bowl at like a 4,500 people or whatever. But it, it did felt a lot more normal than 2020. Let me tell you that right now. Definitely a lot more normal. And I think credit is to the vaccine, most people getting it, and the fact that it was controlled at a small time helped us get back to what we know and love, and that is watching sports, seeing a full arena or a full stadium, and seeing how big of an advantage home field really is. But Alongside of that, I think what was really important 
from this past year in sports was how big mental health in the world of sports was amplified. You know, you see situations like Simone Biles, who basically said, I got to pull out of the Olympics because I got the twisties, you know, I'm not feeling it. Or Naomi Osaka, who struggled, you know, dealing with the press and stuff like that and took some time off and is still taking time off in the world of tennis. I mean, even Calvin Ridley from Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons saying, I got to step away in the middle of the season to work on my mental health. I think that was maybe more important than anything else that happened this past year in the world of sports is where we're no longer this society that says, you know, you're an athlete, no matter what's going on, put on your cleats or your sneakers, get your uniform form on and go out and play no matter what's going on, no matter what's going on. I mean, so many situations we could talk about, you know, I still remember the time, you know, old school kind of things where, you know, my dad would always say, you know, rub some dirt in it. But that was just like when I was a kid. And obviously it was a few years ago, but obviously things are different now. And the fact that mental health is now at the forefront of these kinds of things is great, not just for the world, but in the sports world, I think seeing mental health. And I think that there's like, for some people, at least for some, I'm not going to say every single situation, but I think in some situations we're seeing that, you know, between, you know, the press or fans or whatever, I think athletes are taking a stand saying, we don't have to take this crap. If we're not feeling good, we're just going to step aside. And I think there are organizations that actually respect that and are actually taking the right steps to do that. So USA Gymnastics with Simone Biles, they said, do what you got to do. We don't care. Or, you know, the WTA with Naomi Osaka saying, we are going to do our best. No, obviously they said it, but it's more so what happened in the French Open. That's the, the biggest problem. So I love seeing how much mental health was amplified. And I think it was amplified in the best way. But for what happened on the field, on the court, I mean, I think this was the year of really unexpected champs being crowned. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Atlanta Braves, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you'd think with all the star power that that has gone on, you know, it's once again Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I mean, who would have thought, you know, heading into 2022 that Tampa Bay would be the Super Bowl favorite? I mean, so many people were picking the Packers. So many people were picking the Saints. So many people were picking the Chiefs. And sure enough, Tom Brady once again shows us that in order to be king, you got to beat the king. And that's exactly what happened and Tampa Bay. And not only that, but Tampa also gets Stanley Cup champion going back to back. I mean, what a time it is to be in Tampa. The Rays obviously were the top team in the American League, but obviously they didn't win their World Series. The Atlanta Braves won the World Series again. As I said, when we talked about the World Series with Atlanta, this was a team that was sub 500 around the mid part of the MLB season. And sure enough, they come back. They, they beat the Houston Astros and they win the World Series. I mean, no one would have thought that. No one would have thought that out of all the teams that qualified for the Fall Classic and played postseason baseball, that Atlanta would have come out on top. Me, I would not have seen that at all. Not at all. And I think similar to the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, were they a great team? Are they a great team? Of course they are. But who really saw them 
as being the finals champions. I mean, no one really. Everyone was going on Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Philadelphia was playing great. And even Atlanta was playing great during that postseason. And then in the other conference, Phoenix looked unstoppable. Um, you had the the Clippers. The Mavericks have a great series. I mean, I was all on Phoenix. I thought it was going to be the Suns to win that. And sure enough, Giannis comes up with a huge block on DeAndre Ayton, gets the alley-oop, Drew Holiday with the steal. Milwaukee gets the first title in 50 years. I mean, this was a great year for champions to be crowned because it was so unexpected. And I think that's what's great about the world of sports is the underdogs or the ones you don't expect can rise to the top. So it was a great 2021, but let's talk about 2022, what we can expect. I think predictions for me, I think COVID is going to become less of a factor. I really hope so. I really hope it's going to be. I hope we see a peak in this Omicron and hopefully things die down and settle down and not become a ginormous factor where we're seeing players have to go to isolation and miss games. I think we're also going to see Tiger Woods in a major for the last time. That's very important. Remember a few weeks ago, Tiger and his son, Charlie in that tournament, you know, you heard Tiger afterwards saying, you know, walking around that it just didn't feel the same. And he had to use a cart. You know, if you're in the PGA, you got to walk. And I think Tiger, he's going to do that for one major and realize he's not going to do that anymore. But I think this is the year where Tiger Woods, this will be the last major that he competes in. And I think same thing for Serena Williams. I think she's going to announce her retirement. You know, I don't know if it's going to be before the major season gets underway. I don't know if it's going to be after, you know, the U.S. Open or whatever, but I think Serena, you got to remember, she's 40 years old. She's dealt with a ton of injuries recently. You know, she is going to go down, at least in my eyes, as the greatest female tennis player of all time, and maybe the greatest tennis player in general. I I think this is it for Serena. I hate to say it, but I think Serena is going to announce her retirement at some point in the next calendar year. And it's going to be, it's going to be hard to see because this is a woman who revolutionized not only the tennis world but the sports world so i think serena is obviously going to have a big impact in the sports world already i mean look at all the commercials that we're seeing with direct tv so it'll be tough to see serena um go away but then lebron james i think we're gonna get you know i'm not gonna say he's gonna retire but i think he's gonna give us a realistic timeline of when he's gonna retire because We've heard it for years and years and years. He wants to play at the same time as his son, Bronny. He wants to play at the same time. And I think he's going to give us a real good timeline, a real clear timeline of when he's going to hang it up. Because let's face it, he's dealt with a ton of injuries. The Lakers continue to struggle. Okay. I don't think LeBron is a guy that can carry a team anymore. He can still be the best player on a team. I think he can still be the best player, but I just think, you know, it, it's, it's not the Miami days. It's not the Cleveland days. I, I think his, I think his championship window has closed. I think, you know, he's going to stick with four and I think he's going to give us a real good estimate of when it's going to be when he hangs up his sneakers. And obviously he's still going to have a huge factor in the game of basketball in the NBA, regardless of when he goes. But I think in 2022, we're going to learn, that he's going to give us a timeline of when it's time to hang it up. But 
We're going to enjoy what we have still in 2021, and we'll look forward to what happens in the sports world in 2022. Next is our usual segment talking about all our Boston teams. Let's get local. And we got to talk about a couple teams that are really, really struggling right now. Let's start with the Patriots, obviously. And after last Sunday, they're now lost two straight and their division chances really hurt. So to talk about that game entirely, 33-21 loss at Gillette. I'm pretty sure this is the first time New England has had a losing record at home against Bill Belichick. It's also the first time that a Bill Belichick opponent hasn't punted at all. But overall, it just showed how many flaws New England has. There's not a ton of flaws because I think, you know, let's look at what happened. They didn't punt once. The run defense lacked and the Buffalo receivers went wild. I mean, look at the combined numbers for Stefan Diggs and Isaiah McKenzie. 18 catches, 210 yards, and two touchdowns combined, okay? So that's the problem that we saw in the beginning of the year was run defense. That was the big problem. And obviously, the secondary was banked up. I mean, all the space that these Buffalo receivers had and the fact that they just couldn't tackle was really is really something to to watch watch for cuz i mean let let's be honest when they were on that winning streak were was it the greatest teams no the biggest win they probably had was against the chargers and the chargers were uh i should say most impressive because they were inside and the chargers are out in the wild card right now i mean when you look at that buffalo game again conditions were a big factor but In this game on Sunday, you know, Mac Jones showed that he's still a rookie. He's still a rookie, and he's still learning, okay? He's going to have those mistakes. Is this the rookie wall? Let's hope not, okay? But the numbers were not good. 14 of 32, buck 45 in yards, and two interceptions, okay? Which, speaking of, I want to talk about Nikhil Harry because he's probably the player that irritated me the most last Sunday, okay? Look at the first interception that Mac had. He showed no effort in going after that ball, okay? I understand it was tipped by a linebacker, but all he does is just throw his hand up there, hoping, you know, just at a wild sort of end. And then when the ball is just sputtering, he doesn't even look for the ball. He's not all of a sudden stopping on his heels, turning and looking and finding out where's the ball, where's the ball. He showed no effort at all, okay? He was also targeted six times, and how many balls did he catch? Two. He only had two receptions on Sunday. I am done with Nikhil Harry. Absolutely done. I don't want to see him on this Patriots roster next year. I don't want to see him the year after that. I want him gone after this season. I don't care if we go into the playoffs. I don't care if he's a good blocking wide receiver. I don't want to see him in a Patriots uniform because he is clearly not the first round talent that everyone thought he was going to be. You could have had DK Metcalf. You could have had AJ Brown, but no, you got a guy who puts no effort into helping his rookie quarterback making a mistake. Okay. 
This is the problem I have. It's all Nikhil Harry. Not to say that the whole offense was because of Harry's problems. Because it wasn't, okay? They still had a great running game. Damian Harris scored three times, okay? They had a running game. And Mac Jones just had an off day. He had an off day. That's what's going to happen to rookies. There are going to be more off days than there are good days. Now, I still think, like I said, they're locked in a postseason because I think they can win against Jacksonville. I think, you know, the problem is that it's not, you, you don't want this to be a trap game at home against the Jaguars. You don't want that to happen, okay? Because let's face it, if they win, they're almost certainly in the playoffs. But the Jags defense plays tough, okay? I know that they're 2-13, and 13, but this defense plays tough. So the offense has to turn things around, all right? And it's going to be about that offensive line. How well are they going to protect Mac Jones? I mean, we saw what they did against Buffalo earlier on in the year. They allowed nine or six points to the Bills, okay? If they can do that to Buffalo, imagine what they could do to New England. And who knows? It could be sort of a rebirth for Jacksonville now that Urban Meyer is gone, you know? That could be a whole weight lifted off everyone in Jacksonville's shoulders. You know, it's hard to say, but the goal is not to fall into a trap with Jacksonville, okay? And the strategy has to be make Trevor Lawrence look like a rookie and make him win the game. We've seen that all throughout the year. You did it with Baker Mayfield. You did it with Zach Wilson. You did it with all these guys, okay? And you also got to keep in mind, he doesn't have a run game. James Robinson, out for the year with a torn Achilles. Carlos Hyde, out for the season with a concussion. And I know there are a lot of guys on protocols right now. Matt Judon, Teacher Twice, Juwan Bentley. I know they're on protocols. Hopefully they can clear in time. But even if they don't, you know, this defense is the strength of the Patriots. And I, I as I said, it's not to fall into a trap, but – with the offense that Jacksonville has, with Trevor Lawrence being a rookie, make him look like a rookie. They have the depth, and I think they can do it. I think they'll be able to win this game. But you can't let it be a trap game. That is the biggest thing for that Patriots team. But a team that needs to turn it around even faster are probably the Celtics. Now, let's keep in mind, they've still got a ton of guys out in health and safety protocols. Obviously, the biggest one is Jason Tatum. Then you've got Dennis Schroeder, Aaron Neesmith, Ennis Freedom. They're all on the health and safety protocols. But the good news is Grant Williams is back. Al Horford is back. Broderick Thomas, Sam Hauser, Juan Hernan Gomez, you know, they're back. But they've still lost three straight and four out of the last five. Now, this week, I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say about the Celtics team because it's hard to find excuses for the loss in Minnesota last Monday, okay? Because the Timberwolves had no Carl Anthony Towns, no Anthony Edwards, and no D'Angelo Russell, okay? That's their top three best players. And you still lost. You still blew it in the fourth quarter. And then last night, you go four for 42 on three-pointers to a Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. You let Marcus Morris Sr. drop 25 on you? You kidding me? Are you actually kidding me? Apparently, Jason Tatum is the entire offense, and not having him has handicapped them, okay? Jalen Brown can still be Jalen Brown, but everyone else is just a lost cause out there. They're a total lost cause. And the problem that I'm seeing in these games 
is that they are relying way too much on the three pointers. Okay. That's number one is that it's three after three, after three, after three. And obviously when you go four for 42, that's a problem. Okay. And it's time for you to say, Hey, let's turn things around. Let's start driving the basket. And that's what they did, but they found out about that too late in the game last night. Okay. Jalen's a great finisher at the rim. Okay. Al Horford's great in the post. Rob Williams is, is, uh, is an alley-oop, you know, alley-oop away, super easy, but everyone else. Okay. Richardson had an off night. Pritchard had an off night. I know Marcus Smart was hurt and that could be, you know, a big factor, but it's just, I don't know what to say. That's number one is they are relying way too much on these three pointers. You know, you're expecting one of them to go down and hopefully that turns things around. Okay. If you know, it's not working, drive, drive, drive. I appreciate them continuing to go to the arc and continue to shoot these threes, but you have to learn at some point, it's just not your night and just keep driving the basketball. Okay. That's number one. Number two, Defensive communication, that is the biggest problem right now. I saw so many guys for the Clippers left alone. I saw Kennard open a ton of times. Terrence Mann opened so much. And the problem is their strategy apparently is to switch everything. And they're so caught up in not wanting the mismatch, okay? They don't want the mismatch of, you know, a big guy in the post against a smaller guard, okay? And the problem with that is that you've got guys like Langford, or Pritchard running away from their assignment off the ball, leaving these guys wide open on the perimeter to either knock down a three or drive it into the lane. So that's the problem I see. Too many three-pointers and defensive communication. That's what has to change between these two teams or uh, the from these past two games. And obviously, it's not going to get any easier because you have to bring in the Phoenix Suns now. You have to bring in the Phoenix Suns uh, on New Year's it's either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. I got to look at the schedule again. But this is just a Celtics team that it, it's hard to have faith in them. And I know they have a ton of players missing and they probably will be a better team once all their guys are back and their their COVID outbreak is finally contained. And, you know, they don't have, you know, 12 guys in protocols. But as of right now, this is a team that you cannot say that can go far away. You know, they're currently in the plan right now, but, you know, I said five and six, five or six is a realistic option for the Celtics team. I don't even know if they can get to that the way they've been playing, but the good news is the calendar year is going to change and hopefully the Patriots and the Celtics will be able to turn things around in the new year. as always it's our lol moment of the week and this one's just a classic not any kind of athlete but it's a whole staff that gets involved so without any further ado this week's lol moment of the week goes to the new york knicks equipment staff okay take a look at this photo last night of emmanuel quickly's jersey as you can see Quickly is not spelled like that, okay? Look at the way that they spelled it. They put the I after the C, 
instead of after the U. I mean, that's a simple mistake. And I honestly don't get how you can mess that up. How do you mess that up? You know, obviously, you know, quickly is not only is quickly a pretty easy name to spell, you know, the L-E-Y or the L-Y might be the biggest problem that someone run in, runs into, but these guys play in these jerseys or however many jerseys they have, they play in them, let's say probably 25, 30% of the time, you know, those home uniforms. I know they've got a lot more options now with like the statement and, you know, Nike getting involved in whatever. Why wouldn't you just have a bunch of copies instead of, you know, having to place it, you know, every single time, why not just take the Jersey, you know, throw it in the wash or something, you know, it's, I got plenty of jerseys in my closet that I just throw into the wash. Those don't get, you know, altered or whatever. It doesn't get fixed. You know, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything at all. So that just shows what's going on with the Knicks right now. They are just falling apart. I understand Kemba played great on Christmas, getting a triple double and then 44 points the, the game before. But that's just the season of the Knicks is big expectations, minimal results, minimal results for Tom Thibodeau. Even their equipment guys can't even get their jerseys right. And, you know, this has happened a ton of times, a ton of times. It's not, it's not the first, it's definitely not going to be the last that someone messes up the spelling of someone's last name. I mean, I've seen it plenty, plenty of times before. But how do you mess it up? I just, I'll never understand how you mess up a jersey sort of thing like that. What do you got to take off like the name tag and the number or whatever and then wash it or whatever like that? That just doesn't make sense. Maybe I got to talk to like uh, an equipment person to, uh, to get a real, um, get a real knowledge on that. Cause honestly, like the easiest thing would just be take that Jersey, throw it in the wash, take it out and be ready for the next time. You know, I don't know how precise it is, but that would just be my, that's how, that's how I would do it. And unless there's, you know, a whole process that I'm missing, then it seems like none of these, you know, should be a problem at all. It shouldn't be a problem at all. So I'm pretty sure whoever that equipment person is though, that puts those names together, is probably a little light in the pocket or they got a little talking to. So whoever you are or whatever staff you are for the New York Knicks, you know, you got a strong player in Emmanuel quickly. He's a very important player. And if you're misspelling his name, if he's going to be a big time star, you're going to land yourself onto this week's LOL moment of the week. So that is going to do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, hope you have a very happy new year, ringing in 2022 in a big way and safely as well. Don't forget that. As always, make sure you follow our other pages, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point, you got to get across. Just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.